Hey folks, uh, Eric here. Uh, I just want to welcome you all to a brand new installment of Two Nerdskis in a Podcast. Um, today's episode is all about Highlander. Um, but before we get to the show proper, I um, just want to take this time to talk about something that rings pretty close to home for me. Um, so, I mean, just in case anyone was wondering, uh, the plan was always intended to do Highlander, like maybe in a couple episodes or later on down the line, but... Um, once Sean Connery's passing was announced, we decided that, you know, Highlander would be the next logical choice. Um, and it's it's funny that we're doing this show. I mean, given its themes and concepts of the very ideas of immortality, life and death, and who wants to live forever and whatnot. Um, but then, call it a coincidental act of faith. I mean, depending on how you look at it, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but a tragedy just... Struck. I mean, really close to home for me, quite frankly. So, um, long story short, um, I've been working on a. I've been working at uh, a retail store for about a little over a year now. Um, when I started this job, I decided that you know going in, I wasn't going to be as professional. I was going to be as professional as possible. <laughs> um, you know, I could be friendly to my team members and give great quality guest service skills, but for me. I remembered exactly why I'm there. I'm there to pay the rent and put food on my table. I'm not really there to socialize and make friends. I'm not there to get to get into like any sort of drama. I'm not there to date or get into work romances. You know, none of that. I'm there simply to do a job. Simple as that. Um, but as time goes on, you know, you bend a few rules or so. Maybe you break them. Um, based on past life experiences, I've. Learn to be more selective on who I truly open up to with personal stuff in my life. And, you know, as time goes on, you know, I now have a circle of friends of work who I truly open up to. And honestly, it's made the job more um, enjoyable. But um, around the same time I was hired, there was a new girl who also joined the staff. Um, her name was Victoria, or Tori for short. We didn't really start interacting with each other till maybe around the holidays last year, rolled around, and we started working the guest service desk together. And um, in the year I worked with Tori, you know, I, I got to know her quite a bit. She lost her father at an early age. She had this tattoo of on her arm commemorating his life, and I believe his, um, his believe the year he was born and the year he died in Roman numerals. Or maybe it was the date of his death in Roman numerals. I don't quite remember. Um, she graduated college with a degree in health administration, and she was working towards um, working in a hospital, I believe, to fulfill that goal. Um, Tori loved her family. She loved her friends, and she loved that great big husky hybrid she had. And she used to show me pictures, and damn those <laughs> those bright blue eyes on the dog. I tell you. <laughs> um, she also really enjoyed watching true crime stories, and especially from Crime Watch Daily on YouTube. She was a she was also a lifelong Kobe fan, and you know she was heartbroken when he and his daughter died tragically. And, but you know, more importantly, Tori really loved life. You know, she tried to live every day to the fullest, as you know, as we all should. And, and over time, um, I become quite fond of Tori. Frankly, I mean. She had this really infectious smile and jovial personality that I really admired. And, you know, I'll admit, 
I was beginning to develop feelings for her. But I never truly let myself go that far out of respect of both professional courtesy and just a deep respect for her in general. You know, I didn't want to put her through a workplace romance that could have caused a lot of drama, potentially. I don't know. So I, I just never really pursued it, you know. Regardless, though, I, I really enjoyed working with her, and I felt that we could have been really great friends outside work, and, you know, maybe who knows beyond that. Um, and then... About a week ago on November 1st of 2020, as of this recording, um, I learned tragically that two days prior on October 20th, I mean, October 30th of, of 2020, um, Tori had a seizure in her sleep and she died as a result. She was 24. Um. When I found out I was still at work, and I'll be honest, it, it hit me really hard. I I later had to step away from everyone just to compose myself, and later I told my lead I could try and power through, but they instead told me to just take the rest of the day off. And then luckily I had a, a day off the following, the next day too. And so just for the next 48 hours, I had this whirlwind of emotions and thoughts just encompass my brain really couldn't wrap my head around the fact that that Tori was just no longer here. And I had only really seen her a couple days prior to her death. Um, I'm still, honestly, not feeling too great still. Um, what was worse for me, though, is, I, is that I tend to overthink things, and um, that's a really big problem. And... I just had all these regrets um, just enter my brain. And these were all these regrets of not being able to be closer to Tori, not being able to let her into my circle of trust and not letting her know how I felt. Um, But it's important, you know, not to dwell on regrets and missed opportunities, you know, the only thing we can do is move on, live our life to the fullest so that one day we'll be remembered for who we were as people, and not just for our accomplishments, just like Tori had lived her life. Um, and that's what I'm going to just ask from everyone you know, listening to this. Um, please, go live your life to the fullest. You know, start that project you've been meaning to work on. Start that new job that you want to do. Go pursue that career that you been wanting to do your entire life um tell someone you care you know fall in love go be human we may not live forever but unlike the immortals and highlander but our legacies will um, for anyone uh listening to this episode on youtube um i'm gonna put a link in the description uh for a, a gofundme page that uh tori's family has set up to cover any funeral or and or burial expenses. So um, it doesn't matter how much the dollar amount is, you donate, you know, anything just really helps. So um, overall, I like to dedicate this episode uh, to Tori. And Tori, um, wherever you are, um, know that you'll always be remembered. You'll be, a, you'll be forever in our thoughts and, and our hearts. So, all right, let's 
Let's get on with the show. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. It's time for two nerdskis and a podcast. something to say it's better to burn out than to fade away yeah <laughs> and with that ladies and gentlemen welcome to a brand new installment of two nerd skis and a podcast that one podcast where two nerd skis like to get together and talk about everything that's pop culture and entertainment i'm one of your broskies this are nerd skis oh my god uh, my name's eric la 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 <laughs> Howdy fucking ho, this is Jeff, and it is glorious to be back. You almost sounded Scottish there for a second, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> ironic given what we're going to talk about today, but uh, before am, we go any I further... I'm actually, actually 12% Scottish, thank you very much. Are you really? I did, I, did you tell me that once? I don't remember you telling me that before. I am, as a matter of fact. All right, laddie, well then let's get on with the rest of it. So, Well, I sounded Irish. <laughs> so anyways... Um, we actually are joined by a third Nerdski or uh, guest today. So, uh, kind sir, please introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Galen. I've been friends with these two uh, chuckleheads for, oh, I don't even know how many years at this point. And happy to be here. Ah, well, thank you for coming on, Galen. Um, I, I think because, Galen, you met me first. Um, yeah. Ah, Jesus Christ. Was it 2014 when we first met? Oh, I want to say it was because like 20 because I remember the first thing we ever did together is we went and saw Captain America Winter Soldier. Um, that was yeah, that was that's together. true. And then we saw like a whole string of various Marvel films and other films thereafter. Yeah. And then we saw I think we definitely saw um, Mission Impossible. Was it Rogue Nation or Pro- or Ghost Protocol together? Is I think it was I I don't remember off the top of my head, honestly. But you do remember seeing one of the Mission Possibles with me, right? Yeah, it wasn't the most recent one. I think it was the one before that. Yeah, I so, yeah, I think it was that one too because Alec Baldwin was in that movie. Yeah, I remember it was the one that I. It's the one I don't have the collectible poster for, mm. so that's the most recent one. So whichever one came before that, well, there's so many to keep track of. <laughs> yeah. I, either way though those are some bomb ass movies i like to talk oh hell about yeah those movies sometime but anyway so um well gentlemen uh we are here we are we are gathered here today in holy Mat. no we're not joined in holy matrimony we're here to talk about highlander there can be only one it's one of the uh classic cult films ever made uh it was released in 1986 directed by russell mulcahy stars a whole crest cast and crew of characters but um jeff what the hell is what the hell goes on in this movie? That that was not a proper sense. What the hell is going on in this movie? <laughs> uh, honestly, a lot of shit happens in this movie. Uh, <laughs> I, I literally just watched it uh, ten minutes ago. <laughs> and, Rewatched uh, it. 
Yes, I rewatched it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think this was uh, the last time I watched this was probably four or five years ago when uh, Eric showed it uh, showed it to me for the first for the first time, and I I remember bits and pieces from it, and uh, but I uh, didn't really remember it as a whole. So it was kind of cool to almost re-experience the movie, uh, but then I kind of forgot. Oh shit! Yeah, there's actually like a lot of like there's a lot of backstory in this uh, in this movie. The, the whole and, uh, Highlander thing, man, it's a huge lore. Oh, for sure, absolutely. yeah. Uh, but well, before we get there, so I kind of want to know. Well, so since Jeff said there's a lot of shit that goes on, but basically the idea is I will use the opening text from as narrated by Sean Connery to give us the answer. Um, basically, it goes off. From the dawn of time we came, moving silently down through the centuries, living many secret lives, struggling to reach the time of the gathering, when the few who remain will battle to the last. No one has ever known we were among you until now. Fun fact about that. So, first of all, I didn't want to butcher Sean Connery's uh, epic reading of that, because it, it, it would just sound like this, and uh, quite frankly, my Sean Connery quite sucked chass. Um, fucking disgrace. <laughs> That's right, Rebecca. I fucked your mother. <laughs> oh, hey, too soon for too soon on both counts. Because oh god, cause... is it really too soon for that joke? Though I mean, I mean, I mean, well, I, mean I, I already immediately when I heard Trebek passed away, I I just immediately pictured an SNL skit where they're where they're like reunited in hell. <laughs> that works. <laughs> I mean, let's well, be honest. Well, well, Trebek, we meet again. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I let's mean, be, I mean, let's be honest. Sean Connery wasn't like the best person, but like, god damn it, he had such great charisma. That but. motherfucker was a classy, classy gentleman, and is one of the purest definitions of a movie star and an icon of cinema. And Just don't tell Barbara Walters that he. Uh, <laughs> well, he uh, he undeniably lived uh like lived a hell of a career had an irreparable impact on film and uh so rest in peace mr connery hell yeah this coming uh, from I, the guy I, who's never seen a bond movie wait what the fuck when did i say that well okay maybe you haven't seen a bond movie but you never really got into the bond movies from what you told me that's different from not seeing a Bond. Fair movie. enough. I was gonna Fair say enough. I grew up watching the Sean Connery Bond films. That was so much of my childhood. <laughs> I'm trying to remember some memorable lines that he said, but uh, um, but like a lot of the one-liners he said in those movies were pretty fucking great. Um, but anyways, aside from Sean Connery, we're getting sorry, we're gonna have ourselves here. So, um, so Jeff, yes, I already know how you got introduced into Highlander. It was through me. Um, so, But Galen, how did you get introduced into the world of Highlander? That would be my family, actually. So my, I think it was my little brother, if I remember correctly. My brother is a fanatic for all things historical. Uh, he actually has a master's in history now. Uh, whether or not he does anything with it career-wise, I don't know. But he he got the master's in history a little while ago, and growing up that was always his interest so when he found a historical fiction that was fantastic as hell he went and watched it at a friend's house and then a while later he showed it to me and 
he also then proceeded to make me sit through the entirety, every episode in full of the TV series. So I've seen at this point, at one point or another, I've seen pretty much everything Highlander as far as like uh, when what's you say everything Highlander, does that mean you've also seen uh, Highlander 2 or Highlander Pooh? Uh, much like, um, certain other, uh, film sequels that shall not be named. That doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> yeah, also, it's true. It I mean, does re- not exist. I'm also but not going to count I'm sorry, that. Galen. <laughs> Yeah, I'm also not going to count, uh, two and three for the uh, two and three really get more or less retconned once you get to the TV series anyway. Yeah, it does um, actually. So because they get retconned so heavily as you go on in the TV series, they don't really count for anything. Mm-hmm. We um, should. So actually, actually, we'll definitely we'll definitely touch more upon the ideas of what Highlander brings about. But for sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to be honest, let's uh, if any I mean, Jeff, you've just watched it. Obviously, me and Galen have watched this movie multiple times, but I so, don't think this movie should have had. This should have been a one-off movie, but you know. So let me. Uh, so let me get this straight. There are, uh, there's five sequels, a six-season TV show, a spin-off show with the female lead, an animated series, and an anime film. Am I missing? Pretty, no, you're pretty much on the ball. Yeah, there was a video is... game that was supposed to have come out. There, there's like some in, detail that you're. There is some subtlety in the details you're missing there. Yeah. But yeah, the the um the spinoff female series is another thing that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> not because of the female lead, because frankly, if it's a good story, I don't give a crap if it's a male or female lead. But the series was very short lived for a reason. It was uh, it came out too late for its time. Hmm. It also came out at a time when the market was getting flooded with a lot of other really crappy TV shows, um, like one, two season sci-fi shows. As a result of that, uh, among other, among poor writing um, and the fact that the character itself herself was not that strong. Galen, it's just because you're sexist. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Shots fired. Well, in that case, I'll have to slap you like Sean Connery. But... <laughs> it's like, I haven't changed my opinion. Like, little schmuck right there. Uh, I'm going to pretend you didn't say that and go watch Ghostbusters 2016. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's cool it. Let's cool it. <laughs> All right, so, so what I would like to kind of touch briefly upon is kind of the cast and uh, crew in this movie and whatnot. Let's start with the... Let's start with the creator. So his name is Gregory Wyden. So basically how this all starts about. So Gregory Wyden, he was a film student at the time. Uh, I think he was on it. It looks, I have here in my notes. He was on a trip to Scotland. He was in a museum. And he came across this suit of armor and he wondered, wow, what if this guy like existed in real, like what if this guy who wore this suit of armor, what if he existed today? Like what if he was still alive and kicking? What, how would he like interact in this world? And therefore, that's where the idea come, came in. So he basically came up with like a kind of like a draft or a screen first write, written screenplay for it. And then uh, obviously, as uh, Hall Highland fans know, 
uh, Bill Panzer and Peter Davis, two producers, come across the script and they're like, hey, let's make this into a movie. And they get it financed. And uh, then like you get your cast and crew together. And then um, it's eventually uh, released in 1986. And therefore, um, the rest is history from there, as they say. But um, who do we... So, um, Jeff, aside from the, uh, Sean Carter and myself, who else do we have in this cast? Uh, we have the great Christopher Lambert. Uh, oh, yes. Lambert. We should, he's French, by the way. Lambert. And, uh, we have yeah, Mr. I don't care. We have uh, Mr. Krabs himself, Clancy Brown. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I know, I know it's Mr. Cra- I know it's Mr. Krabs. <laughs> but the way you just said Mr. Krabs is like, oh great, he's got crabs. <laughs> but um, no, we, yeah, no, we got yeah, you got a pretty good cast in here. You have uh, Roxana Hart; she plays uh, Brenda. Uh, if anyone recognize, if anyone watches any uh, Coen Brother movies, you'll recognize John Polito in there um oh. there's also one john polito is a classic though there's also like two other actors in here that i know will peak jeff's james fan. james cosmo is another classic actor yeah i was gonna say there are a couple other actors in this movie that i know will definitely peak jeff's interest um so we have uh peter diamond and like in the opening duel his name he plays Amon fazil jeff how how well do you remember a small little movie called Star Wars? Uh, only a small movie. <laughs> uh, prior to 2015, it was still alive to me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> if you discount The Mandalorian, I might actually drive over to your place. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's true. I'm the only one who still lives in LA, and these two knuckleheads still love, live up in NorCal. Um, so anyways, Jeff, so... Uh, he, so Dave, Peter Diamond, he was an English actor. He did, he's remembered as a stuntman on movies and television. Um, if you remember, in, if you remember when Luke is looking for the Tusken Raiders, Peter Diamond is the very Tusken Raider that attacks him before Obi-Wan intervenes. Oh, okay. He also, he also, he also did some of the choreography, some of the sword choreography for the film as well. I think he he's the one who eventually came up with some of the lightsaber techniques for um, the first Star Wars film, A New Hope. And I think he also maybe contributed maybe to the other sequels as well. And his final film performance was Superman for the quest for peace. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> Mr. Diamond. Wow. Uh, you you just you deserve better, my friend. It's funny that you meant, it's funny that you mentioned canon uh, real quickly. It's funny you guys mentioned Canon real quickly. When you guys watched this movie, did you see Canon logos appear, the Canon Films logo appear in the opening credits? That's how I knew that this was going to be a special type of 80s movie. Okay, well, hold on. So here's the truth. This actually is not a Canon Films project. So I think, so the movie uh, Highlander, so Highlander um, was actually financed and produced by a different company. I think it was like EMI Productions or some sort. Um, when that company went out of business, Canon bought up some of the property and that's why the film has the Canon films logo. But at some point, of course, um, they now, the film is now owned by studio canal, which is like a subsidy or subsidiary of, um, uh, NBC universal, essentially universal or Comcast owns the film now at this point, but no, this is not a Canon's film. This is not a Canon's film, uh, uh, movie otherwise this would probably win an oscar for being in the canon films because it's like 
it's like it's like compared to the rest of canon films like this movie's budget makes it look like oscar worthy or whatnot but that's neither here nor there but no this is not a canon films project i should definitely clarify that up if um, i'm not mistaken i i think uh i think something i think uh bill and ted's excellent excellent adventure had a similar production history where the uh the the studio that actually made it uh went out of business mid-production mm. and uh, and i think it sat on the shelf for about a year or so and then until uh until orion picked it up uh, oh, okay so, so technically bill and ted is not in a in orion film fair enough but it's fair enough. in just in just in terms of its library it is but it's not truly a orion production fair enough um, it's awesome regardless though what i the other there's another cast member i'd like to mention so there uh we also have uh hugh Corshi, i believe i i'm not sure how that's how you pronounce his last name but he plays sunda castiger he's like one of the fellow immortals that's friends of connor uh if anyone's seen the phantom menace that's captain panaka one of my, my incidentally my favorite, favorite parts from the prequels um <laughs> yeah yeah captain panaka yeah um one of the best uh yeah he actually he's not bad in that in the prequels if i recall no he was actually the first one he was definitely his acting was a definite highlight in the prequels overall really i thought ewan mcgregor was the best part of the entire prequels trilogy i said a highlight not the best fair enough (laughs) (laughs) christopher lee also kicks some ass too but then again he was kind of wasted and then everyone forget and then everyone thinks that hitting christensen's a bad actor until me and Jeff have seen uh, Shattered Glass and are like, oh shit, Hayden Christensen actually can act. Exactly. Another example of him acting is Takers. Oh yeah. I didn't see that. I heard it's really good. Oh yeah. Definitely, definitely watch Takers. It is honestly one of the better heist films I've seen and one of the last Paul Walker films that I genuinely enjoyed. I'm like one of the few people in the world that that like Jumper. Uh, Jumper, Hayden Christensen did well. Yeah, he did well in Jumper for what it was, but I think they handed him a bad script, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it it was just funny just seeing Mace Windu get revenge. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, the, the the, the thing that always bothered me with Jumper is they didn't give enough of an explanation of how these people that are basically gods are being taken down by normal humans that's just there wasn't enough of an explanation and i think as i recall the book goes into farther but i haven't read enough of the book to really get into that yeah like i feel like the movie uh the movie was one of those cases where it was probably hacked down in the in the editing room because i think it's like not even 90 minutes long yeah and Mm. they they really the script itself was really really flat because yeah, some of the even Samuel L. Jackson can't save that one. Yeah, it's one of those movies where you put it on in the background and you're just like, oh. Yeah. Right. The um like, I can't remember his name. <laughs> the uh the actor yeah. who played the actor who played Griff in that one and um would was a definite highlight to the film. His acting was genuinely good despite the script. Oh yeah, no. Uh, did uh, anyone forget that Christian Stewart has like a thirty second cameo in that movie? I tend to forget everything she's in as a rule, so <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna pretend you didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, because um, I actually uh... like acting. Um, the The other thing about that film is the the one part of it that I thought was genuinely well scripted, 
was the very, very end of the film. The moment between Hayden Christensen's character and his biological mother. So Diane Lane is the, is the only good part of the movie too, or one of the only. No, the parts? scripting between the two characters. Oh, okay. Yeah, or with uh, with uh, uh, Michael Rourke, or uh, uh, no, Michael Rooker, right? No, 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 it was the very, very end of the film where it's um, him and Hayden Christensen's character and his mom, played by Diane Lane, his little sister. Yeah. Okay. That was genuinely well scripted, but in my opinion, it's also the best scripted portion of the entire film, aside from his little training montage. God, yeah, it's been like probably three plus years since I watched the movie. Uh, I have a weird memory, so I just remember the details. <laughs> so anyways, Highlander, guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? You know what? I, you know what I failed to mention is um, uh, how I got into Highlander. Um very much like Galen, uh, my grandmother actually got me into the show because she was into Highland. Not, I mean, like most old, most, I talked to, there's actually someone at work I know. Um, she's older. She's like in her 60s. Uh, like, no, no, like late 50s, early 60s. She liked watching Highlander for like two reasons. One, because the show was actually genuinely good and she was intrigued by the lore and everything. And two, um, let's face it, Adrian Paul is a very good looking man. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. <laughs> but 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 the, uh, if, knowing my grandmother the reason why she liked Highlander is not because of uh adrian paul well she liked adrian paul but because he's a good he's a great actor but um but no she generally really was intrigued by the show and like the lore of it all and um i remember uh she would tape the show and she would um and i would watch the reruns that she had recorded and whatnot and then um, when I was in high school, because I, I mean, I was aware of the show, obviously, and I was aware I was aware of the movie as well. I started watching the show, show more often because um, the show is actually free to watch on YouTube, uh, like in its entirety. And of course, if you have an Amazon uh, Prime account, it's also on there. And if you have Tubi, it's also on there for free. But uh, the, the only difference with Tubi is that you have to watch ads, but that's not here. Today. But um, yeah, I, I just remember in high school, Hulu, so what ads <laughs> that too? But I also remember, so I think it was like maybe sophomore or junior year um, of high school, um, AMC started airing Highlander, the first movie. And that's how I finally watched the movie. And I would just watch it over and over whenever it was on. And I just fell in love with the movie from there. Um, let's be honest, this movie is not going to be in anyone. This is ideally, it's not going to be in like any of the top 10 greatest films of all time. But for me, this is one of, if not the, one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, oh God! Simply yes. because of its, simply because of the lore and everything in it. But, um, yeah. but no, uh, but that's, but again, I, I'm getting my head, I'm getting ahead of myself of how I feel about the movie. But, uh, but no, yeah, we have a very pretty solid cast. The director is Russell Mulcahy of the film. Um, what's significant is that Russell Mulcahy, so he's from Australia. He's primarily known for directing a lot of music videos. Actually, I think it's Rio by Duran Duran. Like that music video is the first music video that ever aired on uh, VH1, I believe. Oh, uh, damn. I, be I, I know he's he, I know one of the very first music videos that ever aired on VH1 was definitely by Russell McKay. I do not remember if it was Rio, if it was Duran Duran's Rio, but I definitely know he, it was directed by him for sure. And then he's also known for directing, uh, before he made Highlander, he made a movie called Razorback which is essentially the Australian version of Cujo. So they're like, there's like this giant man killing boar on the loose out in the Australian outback. 
and like these people have to go out there and kill it. So it's essentially, like I said, an Australian Cujo with a w- giant wild boar. I'm in. So get an AR-10 and shoot it with lots of three oh eight rounds. Uh. So yeah, no. So going back to the S, yeah, you've got a pretty stellar cast in here. Like, so I didn't know this going into the film, but so so how um. Christopher Lambert, he was hired onto the project like kind of right off the bat. Um, the, the producers had seen him in Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, or Lord of the Apes, Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Definitely, it was definitely called Greystoke for sure. But um, and Christopher Lambert had played um, Tarzan, obviously, or no, he played no, I'm joking, he played Tarzan. But um, they had just hired him off the bat, and when they finally met them, or when he finally met with the producers, the producers realized, oh shit. Christopher Lambert does not speak a single word of English. So he spent about six weeks learning how to speak English. And honestly, it kind of works because um, the idea the idea of immortals is that they may come from one place, but eventually over time, if they survive long enough, their voices will probably change over time. And therefore, like, it works for Lambert because, um, you know, he has a certain kind of accent. And, uh, and like, at one point when he's being interrogated for police, he's like, you talk funny, where you come from? lots of different places um no yeah it definitely it definitely works and he does a for the 80s at least a passable scottish accent during the uh scottish uh recall scenes by the way who would ever thought that you have a frenchman playing a scotsman and then you have a scotsman playing a spaniard who's actually an ancient egyptian i just want to point that out right now well only, to be fair the yeah, I mean, it's the 80s for one, and two, you didn't, to the best of my memory, and I could be wrong, but they didn't really have that many well-known Scottish actors back then, aside from Sean Connery. Yeah, I guess you could say that. I mean, um, at least, not, needed, they, at least not in the U.S. A, yeah, if I had to name just a few Scottish actors off the top of my head, definitely James McAvoy and Ewan McGregor are two of them, or oh, wait, hell yeah, am I wrong but, on that? Is, no, is, they're, both, they're both Scottish. That's what I As figured, far as yeah. I know, but... The problem you run into, though, is 80s. Um, I mean, now we have actors from literally all over the world. Uh, the only actors that really ha- seem to have a hard time leaving their origin country to do films in like the US or UK or something are uh, French, like some of the uh, French and German stars. And then you have India, where Bollywood just mm-hmm. kind of, you, you don't, once you start in Bollywood films, good luck leaving, apparently even though they have plenty of good actors. But that being said, back then, you didn't see as much crossover. Mm-hmm. Holly, old school Hollywood still very much dominated. So getting someone from another country like that is, or getting a breakout a star order, back then. Yeah, it was easier order. said yeah. than done, to the best of my knowledge. So I can't, I mean, I've watched a lot of 80s films, and I can't remember that many... Uh, scottish actors from back then yeah or at least actors who were particularly open about it Mm -hmm. well so was was connery the the first because uh you know because he he, you know he was a star since the since the 60s or probably even prior to that yeah he was definitely one of the first really well known as far as i know Mm -hmm. at least internationally yeah there so the uk has their own very very robust cinema but like I'm looking at, you probably heard the typing just because I'm going through here. 
like you've got Robbie Coltrane, uh, Brian Cox, and um, uh, I can't remember, I can't pronounce his last name, but the guy who played Palpatine. Uh, you have Ian a bunch McDermott. of, yeah, there you go. You have a bunch of older actors who really got their start back then. Uh, Tommy Flanagan, for instance, is, I mean, come on, Sons of Anarchy. But there, there aren't, looking at it in terms of the age that this was made when they, when they would have really been of age, and this is just like the top 30 famous Scottish actors, mm. most of these guys were not, and women for that matter, were not old enough so you've got about a half a dozen of them that are really old enough to have been famous in the same time. Yeah. But the UK also had a lot of, uh, they have, they developed their own robust film industry. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of really interesting films coming out of that time frame from them mm. and their stuff, which is how we got modern BBC eventually, but it's a whole different ballgame. Fair enough. Fair enough, but yeah, no, for sure. Um, you have like, you have you have a very kind of eclectic kind of like cast of like almost international cast of characters. At least two of them are very international because um, I think the rest of the cast are American, and then most of the most. production was in is kind of split between both um, America, Scotland, and uh, London because a lot of the New York, a lot of the stuff set in uh new york 85 is actually shot in new york i mean i'm not in, in and i meant in london um for the when they shoot um when they do the uh the opening duel in the parking garage of madison square garden that's actually like uh they actually remade that set um i think somewhere in london and then they met and then the interior when they're shooting the wrestling match at the beginning that's um i believe also uh, that's actually somewhere in New Jersey. I forget where, but I forget well, the name of it. But that's the uh, the other Scottish actor that is in the film. Uh, I don't know if he's truly Scottish or just UK, but um, he, uh, James Cosmo was another one in the film, uh, particularly in the uh, high, the you know Scottish recall scenes, where he is very definitely from over there. And he, for instance, he's been in films like Braveheart and such. Mm -hmm. And he, um, he's also been in like train spotting, etc. Yeah, no, Although, there's, a, there's definitely been a much, much bigger presence of Scottish actors, for sure, in cinema. But they've all, but let's be honest, I think, for sure, Sean Connery definitely paved the way for future Scottish actors and future superstars from Scotland yeah. as well. Although, uh, uh, if I'm being honest, like whenever a Scottish actor comes to mind, probably for the rest of time, the first to come to the, to the consciousness is Sean Connery. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's right. Uh, you better damn well, better remember that you damn Scottish <laughs> actor. I'm oh, um, number one from beyond the grave, bitches. Oh, on the, uh, on the topic of James Cosmo again, real quick. Uh, if you guys haven't seen the last Legion, relatively low budget film on the Roman end of the Roman empire highly recommend oh yeah i do know this movie is isn't this like what inspired uh arthurian lore theoretically speaking in some ways arthurian lore has much much older roots but that's uh that's a whole nother much longer conversation <laughs> for sure for sure but so anyways um 
so we going back to the topic we have done that a lot already yeah well so that's normal uh, for us anyway yeah this is true if anyone ever has a conversation with both of us or any one of us we will just dive into conversation dive into other topics but yep so overall um since uh i've watched this movie i've watched highlander numerous times galen i i know you've seen it your share of it and so and jeff you've only watched it You've only twice. just recently rewatched it, yeah, the twice. So, I'm going to start with you. So overall, I remember you told me the first time you watched it, you're like, "This was pretty solid." Where do you stand now? Uh, so I think eighty percent of this movie is really fucking good. Uh, so I think, uh, uh, so I think what this movie does really well is, uh, in terms of uh, portraying the uh the time periods in uh in terms of creating uh you know medieval scotland it uh it does a wonderful job at that it uh there's beautiful mm. there's there's beautiful wide shots uh showcasing the landscape uh you know just the the way that they uh because they could have easily filmed that just about anywhere and just say oh yeah th- this is scotland yeah, can we talk about real quickly just how fucking incredible the cinematography is? In this it is. Movie? It is a beautiful yes. looking. Movie. Hell yes, absolutely. It's just uh, the opening, like the opening shot. Oh, I mean, that like the opening alone. Is, so when they I, do this, cool. That was so apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently, really. that was the first time, maybe one of the first times they ever did that sweeping like kind of shot. So they put the camera kind of like on a wire. I think is how they because they do that similar. If you if anyone used to watch like um, old, if anyone used to watch like uh, basketball games from like the mid two thousands to like the early twenty tens, like they would put the camera on a wire and they would kind of yep. just travel the camera. It is pretty similar to that. So it was like kind of one of the first times you ever probably think maybe this is one of the first times they ever did that technique. But this sweeping swooping shot of uh, just like the arena and everyone just like it looks breathtaking and then you just cut to you just cut to like uh an unenthusiastic christopher lampere just like what am i doing here watching this watching this wrestling match See, well, like what i actually like is uh is uh uh going back to, to how they you know create the the vast uh you know the vast landscapes of scotland is that most of the scenes in uh in in new york in uh modern day it uh, it really takes on a, a film noir style, and it uh, and yeah. in, terms, in terms of in terms of that, you know, uh, you know, with the way it uh, the way it executes its lighting, the cinematography, the use of shadows, and it's uh, so it's like polar opposite stylistic choices, and both of them are executed very well. So it's like yeah, that's the, an undeniable. The, honestly, one of the of biggest the movie. things I loved is I don't catching think it had what that a big of budget. Everything appears to be the Scottish no, countryside. I think it was only made. Let me see, because I think this was only made for like thirteen million, and it did not. It's not I, bad. It did not make its money back. That much I remember. Um, let's see. Yeah, it was made for actually no, it was made for nineteen million. It made twelve point nine million. The Trevor's effect. Yeah, very yeah. much. It's very much like in the sense of like, it didn't make its money when it was in theaters. Well, no, Tremors barely made its money, but it definitely made more than that when it went to like home video and whatnot. Because I think, because what happened was when Highland, so 
so Highlander did really well in Europe, but in America, it was distributed by 20th Century Fox. Has anyone seen what the poster for Highlander looks like? There's a couple, but there's like uh, there's like a poster for Highlander that looks like it's very reminiscent of Tommy Wiseau's The Room poster. So it just I looks like he's looking that up right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I to see this, but no, Gail God, knows the, what I'm talking the Room about. really. Yeah. Well, no, oh, it kind of does look like it. What the hell is that? Yeah, exactly. That's, right. That's the most boring, bland. Did they just grab a a publicity photo and just say, just make that the poster? That has to. That has to be <laughs> the explanation for that. Oh, I mean, there's Lord. no Some of these way. Posters are just bad. There's no way that is a professional poster. Just like, well, no, I think 20th Century because 20th Century Fox they handled the U.S. distribution rights. I don't think they had any idea how to market this movie, which is the problem. Um, so that's why it didn't work in America as well, but it works, but the marketing in Europe was so fucking spot on. That's why when they did the TV show, um, so like if you watch the TV show, half of the show like takes place in Vancouver, which is meant to take place in the U S and then the other yeah, half Seattle. of the season, it, well, it's actually supposed to be called Seacouver, not Seattle, but that's all, that's a whole other discussion, but the second half of every season, they would go to France, specifically Paris, and then they would shoot the rest of the season there. And they had the whole other unit there working on the show there, which is that's why the show looks that's why the show is very unique, because um, well, that's why they shoot it in Europe or in Paris, because Paris had such a or at least Europe alone had such a it had such a high like um, market value in Europe because it did so well over there. Not so much in the U.S., but surprisingly. But then again, I mean, that's not a here nor there. I'm not complaining. Um, it's a it's great either way. I'm because either way, um, when Highlander two came out, because of Highlander two, uh, we, we don't talk about that. I know, I know, <laughs> but because of Highlander two, like home video sales for Highlander one and rental sales went up, and that's how it became more popular. As a result, and that's how it's gotten its cult status. Um, so that's why Highlander is is Highlander is the cult film it is because you know yeah. you know so I, it just fucks it over. So based on like the the small amount of research I did before uh, before hopping on on to, onto this podcast, every Highlander movie that was released theatrically was not a financial success in any way, shape, or form. Because oh, God. they don't because the, I think the problem is because they didn't really understand what made the first one work so well. Um, and we should really, let's really kind of tackle this. So let's, let's talk about kind of the idea alone of Highlander. So, it, I mean, Gail and I definitely know this a lot. And so they, it's definitely like they introduced the idea. And then like, if you watch the TV show, it's greatly expanded, but like, we don't talk about Highlander too, because it butchers it which is why Highlander 2 is considered like one of the worst films ever made. But so essentially how immortals work is that immortals can come from any time in any place. There's they're they're not a race. They they just are. They just exist. There's no explanation for why they are. Uh, there's no explanation for why they exist. They just do. Um, you the only way you can become immortal is if you die a violent death and then upon, and that's called your first death. And then when you die, I mean, when you become immortal, you're frozen at the age you died at. And you are now like, so let's say I'm in my physical peak. I'm like 25 years old. 
if I die a violent death at 25 and I'm in pretty damn good shape, that's that's what I'm going to look like for the rest of my life is a 25 you, good looking in shape uh, young immortal. I know yes I don't look like no. that, but you, my point still stands. You can get in, you can actually like over that. One of the things they flesh out in the show is you can improve, like, you know, how good of shape you're in and such. Right. Yeah. For sure. But, but that but you're for, said, but what point I is like, you're, the stu- cloud start, you're, you're stuck at that age. Yeah. You're stuck um, at that age. You're stuck in that like physical, like look essentially i mean you can still like gain muscle or whatnot but my point is like you no longer age um yeah the only way you can die is if you're decapitated essentially and that's how and then when you're decapitated there's a thing called the quickening so essentially the quickening is when the immortal the immortal who took his head essentially gains the power and knowledge of the mortal he just killed um, yeah but before. it's yeah yeah, but it's not that that knowledge though is not something he accesses that they seem to be able to access consciously. Uh, no. There are very rare times in the series when they can go back and access that part of themselves, and that actually delves into some of the mysticism of the show, where you have specific episodes where they show, you know, certain Highlander or not Highlanders, uh, certain immortals can go back and figure out, uh, you know, where they went wrong or something. But that involves like specific magic. Mm-hmm. You can't just go do that. So all of the knowledge experience, like McCloud, um, kind of starts off in the series. Uh, not McCloud, sorry. Uh, Duncan starts off kind of eh as a fighter, mm-hmm. and then over time, as he gets better, or as he takes more heads, he becomes more and more skilled and takes his training more and more seriously. Well, we should mention, so like, but that's all, the show is a whole another topic for itself, but like, yeah. we should, we should preface that like the show primarily takes place in the modern day. And then in flashbacks, we see like how Duncan uh, becomes like the immortal. He becomes the Duncan yeah. McCloud. He becomes by the time we see him like in the present yeah. day. The, um, um... And the TV show is not star uh, uh, Connor McCloud. It stars Duncan McCloud. Um, that Don- Connor McCloud is Christopher Lambert's character, and um, that, and so the idea for the TV show is that um, it follows the adventures of Connor's cousin um, Duncan, and that's why the show ran for like six seasons. Connor McCloud, like Christopher Lambert, he did appear in the very first episode, but he actually he appears in appear. more than that. But yeah, but he didn't return until like Highlander Endgame, which is like the epilogue to the <laughs> the film epilogue to the TV series, but that's a discussion for like another time. And uh, yeah, I'm... unlike, unlike the other sequels, that's the one sequel I actually enjoy watching the most. So interesting fact about the, the films and starting with Highlander one going into the series and the later films. So Highlander one, they actually got a lot wrong about medieval Scotland. Uh, for I believe instance, it. At that point in the, t- the period of history in which they depict him is a much older than the 1400s which is what they originally say so mm-hmm. he's actually older than that the which is why uh duncan comes about in um and talks about a in the first episode or a first episode of the series talks about you know uh, someone in his grandfather's time referring to connor but they got a lot wrong about that for instance the scots certainly didn't dress like that by then they were uh decidedly more uh, or what would be would have been considered closer to first world at the time, although that wasn't a term back then. 
the series then goes on to, over time, uh, either disregard or outright retcon the um, the later films, so Highlander, you know, two and three. Mm-hmm. The films that follow the series, on the other hand, are not only canon, but directly play off of the established canon. Yeah. And play into it. Mm-hmm. The one of the things that I actually really liked about the the film, the first film, is it really set up uh, it set up this fantastic deep lore and just skated over the surface of it and then they went from there it's a it's a, overall i mean yeah overall like the tv show greatly like expands upon what the first film introduces um we should probably actually talk about um the rules that immortals actually set up because uh, aside from like what immortals are, they also have like their own set of rules. And I thought that was also really fascinating. So yeah, I actually have the rules right here. I wrote them down. So here right. they are. So rule number one, you cannot fight or kill on holy ground for whatever reason. Um, it, it, there is no expl- explanation as to why they cannot kill on holy ground. They kind of mention it briefly in the TV series. One instance of an immortal killing. Well, like um, what is what is defined as the holy ground? So holy so, ground, it would be let's say you go to a church, you go to a temple, you go to anything oh, so, deemed so, okay, anything so. deemed like anything deemed like um, religious or whatnot. So like you can go to a Buddhist temple, that's yeah, a holy um, ground. You can go to a okay, cemetery, yeah. that's holy okay. Ground. Yeah, because uh, yeah, because I because I wasn't sure if they were referring to like actual like religious holy or. If uh, or if it, if it was like something relating to, to so, their own per personal uh, whole, mythos, holy ground in this case refers to anything, any ground that is sanctified. Okay, that so makes for sense. instance, a church no longer, and they show this, they show this more in the series. They only hint at it in the fir- in the first film. The TV series fleshes out a whole lot actually the um, so like a native american burial ground or uh, a site considered holy and or sanctified by humans but there's that uh uh but uh, uh there's that church scene in the in the film so that uh uh so i think that that kind of explains it in hindsight yeah he yeah yeah the the other thing is is for instance if a church is no longer considered holy uh for instance if a church has been desanctified which they hint at or show in a couple of the Paris uh, episodes uh, in the first one or two seasons of the TV series, the, if it is desanctified, that is to say it is no longer a sanctuary. Uh, if it is no longer considered a sanctuary by the cultures who named it such, then at that point it is, uh, it is no longer considered holy ground and you can in fact fight and kill there. Yeah, this this doesn't prevent humans from doing anything, mm-hmm. but because like you'll see you'll see like later on that like there are human there are regular mortals who are aware of the existence of immortals in the TV series and uh, there's like a group of them that go and kill like 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 I said like immortals can't kill each other on holy ground but a mortal can kill an immortal on holy ground so yeah there is that. and if there's no immortal and if they take the head and there's no other immortal nearby essentially that quickening is lost for sure yeah it does the quickening basically never happens the energy just dissipates mm-hmm. so going back to the rules so uh there are if you there is only one on one 
rule i mean duels allowed only so you cannot interfere once the duel has started so um if you if you're someone if you're another mortal watching the fight you cannot all you have to do is watch the duel take place and then you fight whoever is going to be the victor um if you can um you cannot uh the immortals are a secret they cannot be kept any they cannot go anywhere else um human the rest of humanity cannot know their existence so therefore they keep it a secret um it's not explained why but they just do and then of course they they hint at it like uh, humanity would freak the hell out if they found out that the immortals are one day gonna rule them Mm -hmm. so yeah that's fair and then of course the ever existing rule of all time which also factors into uh the idea of the gathering and the prize which is there can be only one because for whatever reason it has been decreed that only one immortal shall exist by the end um which is why you have immortals fighting each other to the death like all the decapitations and all the quickenings um so the the idea is that when there are few immortals left in the entire world they'll be drawn to an uh they'll feel an irresistible pull to a faraway land so like in ancient times Everyone, so like every immortal was pulled was pulled together, and so by the end of by the time of the gathering, that faraway land was present day New York, um, and so um, the prize is never really explained. Theoretically speaking, I mean it's not really explained. It's it's kind of explained in this movie, but it's not really fully explained i mean the idea is that you have the power of all the mortals who ever lived and you have their knowledge and what you do with that knowledge depends on like what kind of immortal you are so like if you're a good immortal you hope that you can use that knowledge to better mankind but if you're if you're an evil bastard of an immortal you will basically destroy the human race well that's a dick move yeah yeah which is why the kurgan which is why the fight between the kurgan and connor is so meaningful because like the kurgan is true by the way the kurgan is one of the greatest like b grade uh, would i is he b grade i don't know that's kind of a disservice but like the kurgan is one of the most satisfyingly satisfyingly like underrated villains i've ever seen on and like any media for he's sure. like my like uh those are like my favorite type of villains to watch just the complete scenery chewing type type of villains where the actor is just so into it and it's just enjoying being evil. Like I, I it's like uh like it, it kind of reminds me of Ian McDermott in Reve- in Revenge of the Sith when, yep. when he when he just unleashes how evil he is and is just having a Hell blast yeah. doing it. And Clancy Brown absolutely killed it. And it's uh it, you can just see it in his face how much of a good time he uh, that he, he's actually having playing this character. Well, I mean, oh, like, yeah. who would have thought that the future voice of Lex Luthor and Do- and Mr. Krabs would be like such an intimidating villain? I mean, I mean, let's I mean, like we've all we've seen him in like many other roles. Obviously, he's the security guard. Um, he's one of the guard. He's like the main guard in the Shawshank Redemption. But I think this role pretty much solidified him as like one of the all time like villains in like any form of media for sure oh yeah he was he's even good as kind of a uh uh interstellar rebel in uh star trek enterprise so 
Um, aren't you forgetting Sergeant Zim from Starship Troopers? One of the greatest movies ever made. Oh, that's right. He's in that Oh, movie. shit. Right. Zim, ca- Zim captured the brain his... bug. Uh... <laughs> I forget. Does he have his arm? Is it like, is it his arm? Nope, that's different character. Uh, no, different no. character. That was Michael Ironside, who was uh, in Highlander yeah. 2. Uh, we don't talk about Highlander. <laughs> Last okay, actually... Uh, Quick little side note, I was, uh, so I'm, uh, when you told me to look up the, the poster for the first Highlander, this, uh, this vintage poster for Highlander 2 showed up. Oh, yeah. It said, uh, available on videotape, Laserdisc, and 8mm film. Oh, oh, God, I forgot why? about Laserdiscs. So, um, if, uh, it, it's already sounds like a sad experience to watch Highlander 2, but if you're is. going, if you're going the extra mile to watch it on 8mm film, uh, you want to go home and rethink your life? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like watching Highlander of the Raven. Bad idea, at least. Because uh, wasn't there like a, a completely different cut of the movie? That there was are two deep? cuts of the movie. There's a theatrical version, and then there's a director's cut. Because the from the what director's heard, cut is the barely watchable version. From what the I've theatrical heard, theatrical cut is just complete horseshit. <laughs> from from what I've heard, the theatrical cut was only released on VHS. Is, is that is that correct? Yeah, it, it's only on VHS because like the fans were just so fucking like like fucking shocked and pissed off that this movie existed. So like when it came to DVD, the, like f- fans would try and come up with like fan cuts, fan re-edits and whatnot. And then eventually Russell McCahey, who did come back to do Highlander 2, which is why he's he's now stuck doing like TV and whatnot. Um, that movie essentially killed his like career. That is essentially why uh, he came back and he tried to do a recut. By the way, I recently watched uh, Christopher Lambert and Adrian Paul like on YouTube, like they're at a panel at a Comic-Con or whatnot. And essentially he and Russell both were against the idea of, so essentially kids, they decided to turn the immortal. They decided to explain where immortals come from in Highlander 2. And they decided that they were aliens from the planet Zeist. <laughs> and this it's is why, such... it's a ret- why it got retconned. And which is why it got retconned. And, and also, yet, and, yet and also, paycheck. Yeah, and the paycheck too. <laughs> By the way, what I thought was, and so they both apparently fought against it. But what I thought was f- great about it, so apparently Christopher Lambert would say, like, he would tell, he would tell this to like press junk. It's like, if you are looking for the se- if you are looking for the sequel to Highlander One, don't go and see Highlander Two. <laughs> yep. It reminds go, me of uh, go watch the TV series. Uh, uh, that kind of reminds me of uh, I saw this clip of uh, of Margot Kidder who was uh, I-, I think she was on Lois Lane, yeah, or yeah, yeah, uh, she was on tour promoting Superman Four, and I think the interviewer said or asked asher hey uh super m4 is that a good movie and she just paused for like five seconds yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean you just know when you're in when you've made a bad film and that's that's exactly what your response is like yeah this movie is uh yeah we don't talk about highlander 2 and uh i mean highlander 3 is eh, but still still embarrassing like, yeah it's still embarrassing it, um, it sounds like none of the none of the sequels are worth watching based off. No, I would that, say I if you why well I would say if you watch Highlander the first one and then you watch Highlander the TV series, 
Highlander Endgame isn't that bad, but no, it's still not a great movie. Actually are there uh, other like, because uh, I, I mean, I already have like a crap load of TV shows to catch up on. So are there, is the Highlander TV show, is it like one continuous story or is it like? Yes. Well, okay. kind of. I mean, this only is... in flashbacks is it kind of, but I mean, this is they're mostly kind of, kind of like yeah. one-off stories, like sto- like Immortal of the Dake. So they're essentially like Immortal of the Day episodes. Um, but I mean, at, there are there are points in every season where like there is an overarching story arc um, at some point, maybe like towards the middle or the end of the season. Um, but when they do that, it fucking works. And I would yeah. love to what I would love to do is I would love to have a separate episode maybe um with galen here and we'll talk about that episode we'll talk more about the series for sure yeah i'll uh i'll, I'll leave that up to you guys <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I, I can tell i can tell you're kind of lost one. <laughs> yeah for sure yeah. you know so, but going back so I, what i would like to talk about sort of like real quickly because we were just briefly talking about some of the technical aspects of the first film um since, since we're talking if we're talking about cinematography i would like to talk about how they transition to some of the flashbacks and how those i love those scenes, i love those scenes transitions that uh, some of the best use of transitions i've ever seen too they're so simple which also makes it work um they like for example like for example so there's like this one shot it's like a it's like a close-up shot of connor like in uh in like feudal scotland and then a transition and then his face turns into like a mona lisa on a advertisement slowly dissolves into the Mona Lisa advertisement fucking brilliant and then you kind of and then like as you're transitioning up from as you're transitioning up from so like when Connor's escaping uh the Madison Square a parking garage um it trans it the screen goes up and then and then like it zoom and then like it like pans up on a Scottish village and that's Connor's village in like ancient Scotland in old Scotland that's fucking brilliant. And then the way they transition to a flashback with Connor and Ramirez, aka um, Sean Connery's character in the film, that's that's great too because they just pan up on the water and there they are on the boat. It pans yeah. transitions from an aquarium in uh, or a fish tank in in Connor's plot to that fucking the, the transitions are really brilliant uh, technical wise. They're like. They're kind of like an editor's wet dream, especially for me, because I love that kind of shit. So question, uh, how do you guys feel about the uh, about the like the, the fight choreography in, in the film? On a, actually, that on was something I was about to bring up, um, and I'm actually glad you asked that. Um, so what level are we talking about here in terms of 80s films, Highlander, or just in actu- general. Or actual fighting? Because I uh, kind of know yeah. a little of all of them. Yeah, just in general, uh, you know, like uh, like the, the the shot structure, how well the choreography looks. You know, does it actually look like organic fighting? Uh, just you know. Okay, so I'm ha- yeah, I'm happy to pick that apart. The uh, and just to analyze the hell out of it. So the in terms of the how it works in the film, they it it works fantastically. It flows with the film, it fits well with what they're trying to do, and continually works as a set style throughout the film. In terms of how they film it, they seem to film each scene just a little bit differently. 
so it really and Eric, you you'll know this one better than I do, and you Jeff, you will too. Obviously, the I, I think they film each scene as far as the fights go just a little bit differently to um, generally give gravity to them or fit them to where they're filming them and what type of environment it's supposed to be. Yeah, I would say that for sure. Um, in terms of how it works in, in terms of actual fighting, uh, there's a few scenes that work really well. But overall, I would say most of the, the fencing is off. Uh, am, uh, am I the only one who thought the uh, the fight or the, the the fencing fight between Connery and uh, Clancy Brown was balls? You didn't like that one very much. No, that it, was bad. It it looked like it looks like a reshoot. If I'm being honest, uh, it's because uh, the, I mean, for one, it uh, it didn't look like there was much uh, rehearsing in terms of the choreography. the The backdrop that was uh, that was behind them looked terrible. Yeah. Uh, the uh, and it uh, if you look in the background uh, with the. Uh, uh, you know, with, with the with the building collapsing behind them, I was almost expecting to see uh, some like uh, some uh, stagehands behind, uh, like pushing the debris out of the way. Like it's well, it did, it it's funny you mentioned that because because there is at one point it's a blink and you'll miss it. There are some stagehands quickly getting the fuck out of the getting the fuck out of camera shot <laughs> as they move the boulders. That sounds about right. Out. That yeah. sounds about right. Be- yeah. yeah, it's I don't know. Like that fight felt incredibly off, and uh, like it, the, it was. And uh, that uh, uh, I mean, it wasn't really a fight scene, but that uh, that entire sequence of uh, uh, of Connor in I think it was the seventeen hundreds or something. And oh he, yeah, the, that, where, uh, where, yeah. Where, like that, that's oh that yeah, that one the, that the duel that where he's drunk. drunk. That should yeah. have just been cut out of the movie entirely because it, it, it seemed like all the or like at least his dialogue was was like eighty yard. The editing was weird. It, it I think they were trying to be funny, but the the editing just didn't match yeah, up the... to, to really fit a comedic tone. It just came off as really mm. awkward. And I apologize for calling your wife a blooded warthog, and I bid it... you good day. <laughs> If I'm being yeah, the, honest, like if I'm being honest, like that, I feel like the entire see uh, the entire point of uh, of Connor meeting uh, the other immortal on the bridge up until that fight in the uh, that sword fight in the alley, I feel like all that could have been cut out of the movie, and it would have been a nice clean ninety minutes. I, I disagree. Meeting him on the bridge works because you need to establish that they're more immortals. The the I mean, French. I, I mean, scene... I, I get it, but I mean the fact that he that he dies like almost immediately after he's introduced. It it just if, if he was introduced a little earlier in the film and there were more scenes spent with him, then I wouldn't really have a problem with that. But yeah. But it's the fact that Fair. it's like the moment he's introduced, pretty much like two or three scenes later, then he's killed off. Yeah, but they they needed to establish that there were more immortals than just the main three that they show. So they needed a character to do that. And he fulfills that role well. Unfortunately, he's only in the movie for like five minutes. Yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have seen more of his character. 
the yeah, I mean, I it mean, does give us like one of the best like one of the best Kurgan moments in the film, which is yeah, like, that's for sure. It, it it he also helps establish just how vicious the Kurgan is against his fellow immortals. Can we just mention real quickly, like how that like that ex marine who shoots him? I was like, what the <laughs> fuck's going on? And just mows him the fuck down, and like he's just flat out. And like he like he gets stuck in the fucking gut lifted up by the sword and just thrown over somehow survives that shit that's okay. fucking gnarly as fuck okay, okay I, love, Marines, I, love, so. I love the fact that uh uh that when uh uh what the what the hell is his name kurgan Kur- the kurgan yeah, yeah the, the kurgan, kurgan yeah. yeah like i love that when he uh, when he carjacks the old couple <laughs> and, the, uh, and the and the wife and the wife is still in the car and the first reaction from the uh from the husband is my car my car <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, what's great. No, what's great is when he's like a mom. Moo. <laughs> um, by the way, I so um I should I, you know what I should mention real quick. This is kind of an offhand, but like, you know, so when the when they finally meet on holy ground, you know the you know the priest that he meets with? What about him? Yeah, that's not a priest, that's a rabbi. <laughs> Jesus. Ooh. <laughs> No, well, no, they got they got a rabbi to play a priest for the movie, like in for that one moment. And then like, so he improvised. Whoops, tautology. (laughs) (laughs) But what's so great about it, too, is that, yeah, (laughs) what's so great about it, too, is that like Clancy Brown, after they did the take, he's just like, hey, man, I'm really sorry about that. (laughs) Because like, kind of is acting like a creep. Uh, Going back back to the sword fights. Eric, one, one second, though. Let's be honest. The only getting a rabbi to play a priest is the only way they avoid little Timmy. No, oh. <laughs> that's a Helsing ultimate abridged reference. <laughs> oh hell yes! So going back to the duels, I think Holy the water. one duel, the one duel that works for me the best is probably that opening one under in the garage of oh, God, yes. Garden. By the way, that is actually so Peter Diamond who plays Fasil. Um, Connor's first opponent. He was like in his fifties, and he's able to do those fucking backflips. Was that actually him doing that? Back- that is him? actually him doing those backflips. By the way, there is Damn, no point. Is, there is no diamond. There is no point. There is no point as to why he's doing them. He just doesn't. Probably because he's like, why the fuck not? I mean, There's like, a- I, I guarantee that uh, that he just uh, that was just randomly brought up. Like, hey, I can do backflips. Mm-hmm. All right, set up the shot. Uh, we're going to show this guy doing a backflip. <laughs> I would say, I would say the final duel between Connor and the Kurgan re- also really works as well. Um, yeah, I yeah, mentioned, absolutely. I mentioned this to Jeff yeah. earlier, but like, so little side note on that. So when they're when the swords collide and they make they make the sparks, the reason the, how they got the sparks is that they they attach jumper cables to car batteries, and so the swords. Uh, when they when they hit the swords with each other, that's why they get the sparks. Is because they got the jumper cables attached to the car batteries, and of course, you mix those two together, she get a spark. Um, and I remember telling you that Jeff, and you're like, "Oh shit, that's unsafe as hell." Yeah, I I've played with some pretty high voltages in my young and stupid days, and mm-hmm. even I'm not touching that shit. It's like. Mm-hmm. How how can we make these lightsabers, but not lightsabers? I got an Pretty idea. <laughs> um, Car batteries. Let's 
let okay real quick I, we're getting we're getting close to on time but there's something i really want to talk about and that's the score of this movie which is one of the oh fuck movie. yes fucking the, the, the training the training montage score uh, honestly when i was uh uh once uh, Most once I, like once that scene was playing i was uh i was actually looking up to see if the the score was on apple music and it, it so was- it's so the score was never officially released. Um, really, there's like a comp. There's a compilation of like all three movie scores. I mean, of all Highland, of all three, of all first three Highlander films together, and like this compilation album that was released in like in the '90s. But that's about it. There's not really a full score. But I can tell you a little bit more about the score itself. So it was done by Michael Kamen. Um, he unfortunately did pass. Um, see i think in like 2003 he was only like 55 but he's done a bunch of great scores he did the american score for life force when they reshot when they re-edited that movie um he's done obviously he's done highlander he did the first lethal weapon movie um which he also did die hard believe it or not um wait what yeah you mean the perfect christmas movie he did the very first die hard yeah (laughs) the greatest christmas movie ever made damn right also, yep. he, also he directed. He also did the score for *License to Kill*, which was the last Timothy Dalton Bond film. And of course, score is one of the few good did, parts of that and film. And of course, of course, he did the greatest cult movie ever made, *Fucking Roadhouse*. <laughs> oh Jesus! Uh. <laughs> so you're saying this man was a legend? Yes. This, this, this guy man, fucks. Okay. This man fucking like put out work. Like this guy did a ton of film scores um and um yeah this guy is age oh that's right he also did oh really i'm actually looking up some of his scores here so like he also did the iron giant and oh damn apparently, that movie apparently oh yeah he, there we go he did uh apparently he did x-men the very first x-men movie oh wow and he did uh Fuck, christopher dude, nolan's yeah. memento what was his uh final score it was called first. Uh, it was called first daughter. It was with uh, Forrest Whitaker. It was released posthumously. I've never heard it. I don't think anyone. Neither has. have I. But I kind of want to watch it now. He, you know what? He also did work on the score for Band of Brothers. I've. I love never, Band of Brothers. I've never seen Band of Brothers. It's one. Of we, need we need to watch that. We need to watch that in the show, Pacific. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, the, uh, the Pacific has the best birthday song I've ever heard in my life. Um. I heard a, I heard I heard a little Timmy from Jurassic Park is in it. Yeah, Joseph Mazzello <laughs> is that his name? Yeah, he's I think so. It. Yeah, he'll always be little Timmy. But anyways, yeah. Michael Kamen's score is not why no we glue. talk about the music for Highlander. We talk about Highlander because we're talking about Queen. The motherfucking so Queen. We talk about Queen. I will say okay. So for me, oh, like Jimmy Queen, King. before I saw Highlander, like. Queen was like, obviously, I knew who I was aware of who Queen was. You know, we are the champions. We will rock you. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody. I heard all that stuff. I was like, eh, not, not my fancy. After watching Highlander, Queen became one of my, Queen became one of, if not my all-time favorite band of all, bands of all time. Um, they are that, Queen is an, is incredible. Also, I thoroughly believe that Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer who ever lived. And if God had a singing voice, he would sound like Freddie Mercury. I agree on every count. And also it is scientifically proven now that Freddie Mercury had a 
well and truly unique voice and one of the craziest range vocal ranges that you've ever heard of. Well, he had like he had this he had like an interesting jawline, I think. And that's yeah, why his jawline and those giant front teeth of his that he was yeah. so famous for. Yeah, Which so is... they contributed to his voice so much that they created a unique voice and, for that matter, a range that is well out of the norm. Mm-hmm. Most people don't have a vocal range like that. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. Yeah, this this uh, this score, yes. this music Yay, that science. Highlander did is just fucking astounding. Um, oddly enough, they almost turned the film. They almost did not agree to do the film, but I guess they saw a twenty minute rough cut of like footage that was already shot, and then they were just like, "Fuck it, let's write some songs." And um, I mean, sure, so, we already we already, did, we already did, the, did the music for Flash, so why not Flash? I haven't even seen the movie, but I know that fucking song. Well, yeah, uh, that song for do sure. yourself a favor and don't watch that movie. Queen, is really? <laughs> is it not don't that watch good? That movie. So, having seen the film now several times, thanks to my uh, my grandpa, um, there are parts of it that are good. Mm-hmm. But if you're gonna watch Flash Gordon, like honestly, go back and watch the as hokey as it is, go back and watch the original, uh, the original black and white Flash Gordon, racist tropes and all, because you know, it was the 40s. <laughs> yeah, um, it was the 1940s. Okay, yes, I, I realized that, that. They to them it was normal. Mm-hmm. Now we go shit. No, with good reason, but. You know, that being said, for the time, it was a cinematical masterpiece. So, honestly, go back and watch it. Uh, go back and watch the old black and white TV show start to finish. Is it just me, or did did the movie Ted make the make the Flash Gordon movie relevant? Like, it's, yeah, it's like, I would say it's like the only reason that we're yeah. that like people again. are still talking about it because it brought it back in the public consciousness. That and the <laughs> Queen song. I actually saw uh, Sam Jones at a convention once, and my friend and I just shouted at him, "Death to Ming!" And he he just he gave us a, a glorious nod. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great! The, that's great. the oh, God, um, cinematography in that film was so bad. Um, it? Like I said, I've oh never yeah, seen the movie. I've never seen Flash Gordon. I wouldn't know the um the the one thing that I uh in regards to Highlander, real quick the the one thing that paired really well is some of the beginning scenes uh like the the two best fight scenes are obviously beginning and end but some of those fight scenes that they show uh some of the sword play they are doing even though connor is fighting with a katana which has a very definite grip style and fighting style he's doing what would be closer to an Errol Flynn fencing style. So closer so to he's, almost like a European style fencing. He's doing very much Olympic European style fencing, mm. whereas a katana has a very definite two-handed grip with fairly specific hand positions. Yeah. Well, I would say I would say the European broadsword fighting style and the katana or uh, ayajutsu or kenjutsu styles are almost similar to each other. Little different, little different. Yeah, no, they're they're different because of the, they're very different because of the types of armor you're fighting, mm-hmm. and they're different because of the types of blades. Mm-hmm. A, 
A broadsword was more of a hacking and stabbing. A katana was more of a slashing weapon. Yeah. Which is why the katana actually has a differential heat treat. So unlike the broadsword, which is the whole blade is quenched and heat treated all at once, the katana is clayed up on the spine, uh, and the pattern produced is called the hamon. If I'm pronouncing that right. It means Japanese sword. Yeah, the fucking samurai cop. (laughs) So I actually have a katana like three feet from me, but um, they no they uh they clay up the the spine on the katana so that the spine is flexible. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it heat so it gets heated differently. Yeah. Uh, so because of that, you have and the armors you have two very different fighting styles. It works very definitely for Connor. But as far as the realism of the fights, completely inaccurate. Yeah. And then they pair the soundtrack with that. And then once you pair the soundtrack with that, even with the the lack of realism, uh, at least as far as fighting goes, it works because the Kurgan is just so savage and he has Connor on the ropes for so long. It's just him really fighting until Brenda gets him that edge to get back in the fight and do something with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I had a thought. I was like, I was like, where are yeah, you? The eighties had this weird thing where the eighties and nineties action films uh, kind of left behind the, the art, the fencing and action arts of mm-hmm. like the old Errol Flynn, Flynn films. And they went for like a more hardcore kind of style, like more. Yeah, they went very, they went very, very hardcore, much more edgy. And their goal was to, you know, catch the eye. No, they, they dropped realism altogether, Mm. Uh, which is why Hollywood became famous for, you know, infinite magazines for the hero on guns. (laughs) Yeah. The, they dropped the realism entirely. And for the most part, at least, and then they just go with it for the sake of the action and the story. So mm-hmm. it becomes a much more narrative story. And then you see yeah, in a few a few years in the 2000s, you see um, some Hong Kong style fighting and cinematography come over. Oh, yeah, for sure. But yeah, but this you have to remember, this yeah. was pre this was like before. Oh, yeah. That, this is before the Matrix, so we haven't gotten to that level of choreography yet. But overall, no, yet. I think the sword fights still look pretty great. Oh, this, the, they look absolutely fantastic. They work with the film. Mm-hmm. And the soundtrack in particular really underscores the gravity of the scenes. Especially especially with Michael Kamen's score. Because, oh, I yeah. mean, Michael Kamen has a very distinct kind of like... I've heard... Okay, I, there is one complaint I have heard. That that ending bit in the, in the duel, like in the warehouse duel, like at the end, um, doesn't quite fit. You would think... It doesn't quite fit as well, but I, I mean, I, I like it. But it probably should have. It probably should have started when Connor has the upper hand, because like it's kind of even at first, and then Connor fucking like delivers the final blow. But uh, that's neither here nor there. But but anyways, uh, in terms of music, going back to Queen, um, yes. for me personally, um, all some of my favorite songs is from this score. I mean, it's from this movie. Um, if anyone's looking for the official like queen soundtrack for highlander you just have to look to their album a kind of magic that's where it, that's where most of like queen songs are there there is one song though that does not show up any that you cannot find it's only in the movie um what it is it's so 
when the Kurgan kidnaps Brenda and they go traveling around and he takes her on this like chicken joyride. Um, at the very end of it, you hear Freddie Mercury do a rendition of New York, New York. And it's like one of the greatest things I've ever heard, but there's a, there's no full, you will never find a full version of it anywhere because apparently Freddie Mercury himself was reluctant to do uh, a full recording of the song. They only did that one snippet, but God damn it. I wish there was a full, there's rumors that a full snippet of that song exists or a full version of that song exists somewhere. But um, I don't know if there is, but if, please i swear to god there is because that's one of my favorite things i've ever heard from queen do yeah that's um, oh god i would love to hear that because the original version of the song new york new york you know what a wonderful town the origin the as much as i don't like that film it's from because it's eh, as far as story writing goes isn't that a sinatra song if i'm not mistaken? uh no i don't believe it's sinatra why did i think it was sinatra then okay. hang on it does it doesn't really matter in this sense but but yeah uh my favorite song. Does anyone have a favorite Queen song from this movie? Princess of the Universe. Um, the opening track. No, um, it is. Um, so say the back. You're right. It is. It is. It is a Sinatra film. Mm-hmm. No, say the back. There. It is not a Sinatra one. There's. There is a Sinatra film or not film. Sorry, a song. Um, start. You know, start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. New York, New York. Okay. Um, but there, there's an actual film that has a different song and that i believe is bob hope okay that's who we're probably thinking of then but anyways jeff do you have a favorite kind of song from the movie uh again i'm not well i'm not uh super familiar on the movie uh so i i need to listen to all the songs again what did you think overall of queen's uh contribution i mean it's fucking queen <laughs> this is yeah true. this is true um what I really, my favorite song, uh, and actually correlates to one of the plot points of the movie, is uh, Who Wants to Live Forever? So um, that song was actually Brian May. Um, he wrote that song, um, the, the lead guitarist. Uh, that's that's one of the you, most you beautiful the, songs I've ever heard. It's You mean the literal astrophysicist? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He is an astrophysicist. I forgot. No, he is. He is. He literally went to... He literally studied astrophysics. Um, but I mean, like the song correlates well because the movie, because part of the movie's plot revolves around Connor and his first wife, Heather. And obviously, um, so Ramirez, who Sean Connery plays, he tells him like, you, you need to leave her because you do not want to, you do not want to see her grow old and die. But that's exactly what Connor does because he loves her. And it's essentially the song's about their doomed uh, romance because he will forever um, stay young and never age and die but she will but it's so heartbreaking to listen to um, it's just such it's a very powerful song that's how great this the music is in this movie um, I, I just, will say uh, uh, just since we're uh, getting a little short on time uh, I love uh, I love how they visually told uh, that uh, that sequence of uh, you know of her aging how they uh, oh yeah like, hell yeah like, how he's, you know, calling for her name and, uh, you know, well, prior to that, you know, there's just a whole montage of them rebuilding their home and, you know, he calls for her name and just kind of holds on the shot for just a few seconds. And then you see, you know, elder, uh, elderly Heather, yeah, elderly. Yes. Heather, uh, coming up, uh, coming up from the hill and that one shot just, it, it says everything. Mm-hmm. 
you know what doesn't work in this movie for me um his romance in the in the present (laughs) yeah like it's i'll be honest i'll be honest that that's a very forced romance well there's 10 minutes left well well, there's 10 minutes left we might as well bang (laughs) um no the are we talking about um him and uh him and brenda so like no offense to roxana hart i thought she did a great job with the film but like Honestly, the relationship between the two just doesn't work. The like you could totally tell that relationship a different way. Like maybe they were already in a relationship, but she was already getting suspicious of of Connor because obviously Connor in the movie in the present day he goes by Russell Nash, so she's suspicious of Russell Nash. She decides to do some investigative work on him, and then she slowly she starts to realize that Russell isn't aka Connor isn't exactly who he says he is. And so she starts to question everything, um, but instead, she instead it's just you know she's a metal she's a metallurgist who works in forensics at what. what Honestly, the, I think yeah, it would have been more. It, I think it would have been more impactful for uh, for the character of Connor overall if if they didn't hook up. Uh, if he didn't hook up with uh, with, Brenda. Right. with Brenda, with Brenda, yeah. Eight, but like, it's an eighties uh, film. Like the, you need to have that. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, if I mean, just in terms of story wise, you know, to kind of signify that even after hundreds of years have passed, he's still uh, like, like alone. Heather. He's he's yeah, he- he's afraid to fall in love because he doesn't want to he doesn't want to well, go through what he went through with Heather. Well, for sure. well, not only that, like like to like to just uh, because shortly before that, you know, he was still lighting the candle to honor Heather's birthday. And so I so I feel like one of the following scenes he's you know hooking up with uh, like with another girl like i get it hundreds of years have passed but if uh but i feel like if he's still doing if he's still holding true to that tradition hundreds of years after her death then he still clearly has not forgotten her and and still loves her beyond beyond words uh, so I feel like it would have been more emotionally impactful if the Brenda romance was not even was not even part of the equation, especially mm. with how with how shoehorned it is. Uh, just to show yeah. that, like I feel the, like I, I feel like the relationship between him and Heather would have had more emotional weight if uh, if if a secondary romance was was not shoved in at, at the last minute. Yeah, that. There is one thing with that, though. That, I mean, it is an 80s film for one. So, you know, the, the hero getting the girl is kind of the a major trope from the 80s. Yeah, no, uh, like, I understand it is the 80s, but I'm just looking at it from a pure storytelling yeah. perspective. Oh, God, yes. No, it, you're, you're right. The The only other thing I will say, though, is and the reason I think it and does end up working out in the end is because you need a motive. You need a motivation for him, a modern day motivation for him to go fight the Kurgan on the Kurgan's terms. Otherwise, he's going to force the Kurgan to come to him. Yeah, I mean, you need him to go chasing after the Kurgan. Otherwise, the story and the ending fight doesn't have a major. It just reason. doesn't work. It, just, it yeah, wouldn't work. It, I mean, it, I feel like does. I feel like you could still convey that convey that with without them banging. Probably, you probably yeah, could, but because like obviously he could like even though he doesn't fall in love with her, he could probably still care about her to an extent. To which I'm like, yeah, exactly. I've got to go save her for sure. You know, because like they 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 definitely shared enough scenes together to show that you know there's at least uh you know like a mutual respect uh mutual respect uh between them they have a hard way of showing it just because of the lack of chemistry between the two but okay 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. What what I wanted to see more of um, in the film was that that father daughter relationship. Oh yeah, because like Connor and the lady he rescues from yeah, the Nazis. Rachel. Yeah, because he yeah. he rescues Rachel. By the way, I love that flashback sequence. Um, fun fact: so that was, I think, a reshoot. Um, but they and Russell did that with his own money. He basically got a uh, film. He got a music video crew to help shoot that scene. And apparently, the Nazi who shoot there is a the Nazi who shoots him was actually the second guy to play the Nazi because the first guy was so drunk or whatnot he just walked off the set. Apparently, so they're just like, all right. The other Nazi's drunk. Get the fucking other guy in here to play the Nazi. Nine, 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 nine. But I, overall, it works. I mean, I do agree with you, Galen. I would have liked to have seen if they do a remake. Okay, we should talk about the remake no. before we get there. But like, Heresy. my point. <laughs> but yeah, they really should. They really should have. It would have been cool to have elaborated more on that relationship because then we get to see more of how like Connor is like get to see more of because by seeing that relationship we see more of how connor has evolved uh from where he was originally in scotland to how where he eventually becomes later in the present day for sure that would have definitely helped out at least with his character development in the movie because the yeah. idea that his character arc is essentially learning to love to care again um and therefore th- and therefore that helps re that he that her- therefore um, helps him win the prize because he cares for people. Ultimately, so, in the end. So, how do you guys feel about a potential remake? Because I know that's kind of been talked about for for many many years. Well, mm, the fact I that well, I, well, I know. Well, I will say it's Chad Stelhelski who's the master. Well, he's one of the co masterminds behind John Wick, and the way that John Wick has been like like established and created i do not have a problem with him working on this working on the remake because i think there's there's at least potential uh yeah. especially in terms of the fight scenes because we oh yeah like, that's because, absolutely and i feel like uh, because i don't think highlander is a perfect movie and so i so i feel like oh yeah not at all for and, sure and, and because i feel like uh like a just looking at the the sequels uh I mean, just like how uh, looking at how they've been received, I think the latest one was the source, and that. Oh, well, like... we don't talk about the source either. That's okay. Oh, idea. Eric, no, no, yeah, no, no. The that... source is necessary. <laughs> what? Yeah. So yes. It, it looks like that one was the worst received of all of them. So it, it looks, came too late. By the looks of it, and, it looks like. It... It, it, oh, sorry. Go ahead, man. So the source came way, way too late as far as Highlander films go. Um, the other thing is. Uh, the source was tonally, you know, in terms of tone, cinematography, um, and so on, even though the characters that carried over from the series, because it is based off of the series and it's yeah, post it's, a, it's, it's post a continuation of the TV series, but yeah, it feels but they, like a masterization of the continuation. Yeah, of the, they, the, the overall story of the source and the reason I still count it, the the overall story of the source works because it keeps the mystery. It stays true to the existing lore and it gives that, it gives a Duncan motivation towards what the prize is. And it gives him a reward, so to speak, for being true to, you know, being, uh, being that good immortal. 
Just the, don't tell Spoonie your reasoning for that. Yeah, well, the the other problem was the only real problem was it is they they went kind of like a okay. So I hate to bring up this film because it's terrible, but do you guys remember the second uh, Ghost Rider film? Oh yeah, Spirit of Vengeance, which yeah. also starred Christopher Lambert. Mm-hmm. You don't remind me. Um, <laughs> so that film, so it's like a weird com uh, in terms of tonal and like how they filmed it. It's like a combination, a horrible combination of Highlander, the TV series, which okay, fine, that's where you get the story. Then you add in some Mad Max elements on a mysterious deserted island, which doesn't... Okay, fine. I suppose it works. But then you add in, on top of that, you add in a cinematography style not too dissimilar from the second uh, Ghost Rider film, which, you know, that's obviously a bad thing. Um, And a color filter that would remind you of... Not just that, but the early seasons of Supernatural, where they had that weird gray filter over everything. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember the, that shit. The other thing that they really screwed up with is they did this thing that was really popular in the late 90s, early 2000s, up to about 2004, 2005, with um, how they depicted technology. So you go from that sci-fi-ish like um, or, or technology to survival uh a mad max survival scene where the immortals no longer have their power yeah i always had an issue with that too Uh, yeah i mean the losing their power as they get closer to the source that works but there are portions of it that would remind me of like i frankenstein for fuck's sake so (laughs) oh that movie oh i know it's, it's a guilty pleasure the but portions of it i mean the overall story works and it's still true to the lore. But the execution is just complete pure shit. Oh, the ex- oh yeah. I mean, I'll still watch it as guilty pleasure. But the execution is complete shit. Yeah. So at least like from uh uh at least from uh like as a complete outsider from uh, uh from this franchise, it looks like it uh, it just looks like a series that just kind of got ran into the ground. And, pretty much and there's yeah the, the the property essentially hasn't been touched in about 15 plus years and so the truth of the matter is is that highlander really should have been a one-off but because right. of its success in europe and i guess the because of its success in europe i guess uh well i mean at least, at least we're just asking for just another one and even the producers and the writers were like why there's no need for a sequel. I well, mean, at least you could have at least done like maybe you could have done at least flashback movies that um, as sequels, they could essentially be prequels. Well, I mean, but then the, you run the risk of knowing that, you know, ultimately Connor wins, but then you amp up the stakes. Maybe Connor learns a lesson here or there, and that's how he further becomes this and that. Well, I mean, yeah, eventually just, towards yeah. well, I mean, do that like arrow. Well, I mean, like the, I mean, there was a six season TV show, so there's clearly more to do with, like with the overall concept of uh, technically of, of, that of should have right but technically well that well the tv show again that focuses more on duncan his cousin but then i don't, and then, I don't know like, who the fuck that is <laughs> well i know i know but also also season six is considered the worst season of the show um it is 
it, it really, really should have ended with season five. But the point, yeah, the reason why season six sucked is because Connor. I mean, the main character isn't even in most of the, in, in it for most of it because they were shooting Highlander Endgame at the time, and therefore uh, Adrian Paul, who plays Duncan, was unavailable, and that's why they were just like, yeah, all right, we'll just do this and we'll do that and whatnot. Yeah, that's the movie completely. The last season is not very good. Um, there are, I get, I there are a couple episodes or a few episodes that work, but for the so most I mean, part, at least at least in terms of the director attached, mm-hmm. and uh, and I feel like I don't know, I, like I, I definitely feel like there's elements that can be improved on, uh, and so I don't know, like I'm not personally opposed to seeing a remake. I mean, I'm I usually hate remakes uh but i mean as long as it was uh you know if there was if it was a good concept and uh if it was a good concept to begin with and Mm -hmm. if it's done in a way that can at least intrigue new viewers uh if it can intrigue their curiosity and draw them to the original movie then i feel like that's definitely a net benefit right there yeah. You know, I, I can kind of live with that. The um the one thing I do really want to see if they do do that, and I'm personally against it, but the what I would want to see at that point is the fight. I would want to see fight scenes that would be similar to either John Wick or Errol Flynn. Uh, if you've seen like the old Swa- R- Errol yeah, Flynn swashbucklers. Yeah, kind of like films. The, the sword fighting, they could definitely improve. I, I would love to see improved sword fighting, but the the only way they really get the cinematography right, in my opinion, is if on the urban scenes you have that very, kind of that John Wick style, but then you go to the Scottish scenes and you have like original Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson. I mean, I, I, mean, I feel like there was already elements, uh, I mean, at least in... Uh, 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 when I was watching the movie, uh, the way that they were setting up their, their uh, lighting and uh, some of their use of colors in the city, I was kind of getting a John Wick vibe. And yeah, and so I mean, I'm, so, so I feel like the director attached would be an appropriate fit uh, because we already know how well he can execute fight scenes, how well he can uh, visually portray uh, visually portray a city at night. Uh, you know, how well he uses lighting and, uh, you know, how he's able to help uh, or how he's able to shoot fight choreography. So, so at least in terms of, uh, I mean, because it's, there could be a lot worse talent uh, attached to a project. Well, remember, Ryan Reynolds was attached to the project at one point, but. (laughs) He he is not a good fit for it, though, as much as I love the man. Um, Um, The only casting that I have heard that is a, that was sort of official was Dave Batista was going to play the Kurgan, which oh, fucking that definitely probably that would be work. interesting. Yeah. I would just, I'm more concerned about who's going to play uh, Connor. Um, Cause like that, I mean, that's already uh, an interesting thing to see. Like who would he be? What so, I would really like to see is who would play Sean, uh, who would play Ramirez. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, chief so, metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain. So I, I have a suggestion Chavez. for that one. So honestly, for for Connor McCloud, I kind of see James McAvoy. Nah, it could work. can't. Nah, you and no, McGregor would be a no, better choice I for going that route. No, 
who would who would you who would you say, uh, Galen? Ewan McGregor. Yeah, no, because he's a little bit old. He's a little bit older for that part. I probably would like to see someone who's like not unknown. too old, but not too young. Probably an unknown would be great because I mean Christopher Lambert did that one role, and like Highlander is the one movie he's mostly known for. But like an unknown would be great to see. What I would like to know is like who would come back to do uh, Ramirez. It'd be interesting, you know. If my pick, Galen, it'd be interesting to see if Adrian Paul does it, or if um, or if I would love Lampere. I would love to see Adrian Paul do it. Um, there is. I'm trying to remember his name for Ramirez. Uh, hang on. Sorry, uh, keyboard is loud as shit. (laughs) Uh, yeah, gaming. What can I say? Um, Odin Fair actually. Oh yeah, Odin Odin Fair. Actually, that would be a pretty good fit. Honestly, of all things, he would I... he would fit well with the Spanish vibe, mm-hmm. and he, uh, thanks to the Mummy films, as wonderful as they are, uh, in my personal opinion, he I think would do really well for it. Um, the only other actor I think also from the Mummy franchise who might be able to do it is Arnold. Uh, Arnold Vosloo. Yeah, Vosloo. Yeah. Well, he would. He probably, would. He would be. The, he would probably play. Yeah, he wouldn't be a villain. He would maybe you could play like maybe you could get Arnold Vosloo to play one, another I'm, immortal who's probably like another opponent. Maybe there's a there's another guy that I would love to see as um, drawing a complete blank on him, but oh, I know who I want to see as the Kirkin. Who is Hang he? on, uh, uh, Manu Bennett actually. Oh, Manu Bennett, yeah, who played um, Deathstroke in Crixus. season two. Yeah, and Crixus, yeah, in, uh, or um, for that matter, uh, Liam McIntyre. Uh, Liam McIntyre. I'm Spartacus. trying to blank on that one. Oh, uh, the last three seasons, the last two seasons of Spartacus. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. He also played the in the if you've watched the Flash, uh, Weather Wizard. Oh uh, yeah. Well, either way, I I really by the I just want to mention real quick because we haven't mentioned it all episode, but I would like to mention that the chemistry between Sean Connery and Christopher Lambert oh, was fucking perfect. gorgeous. Um, perfect. Beautiful. They were they became best friends on the sh- on during the shoot, and Sean Connery, by the way, was only on scene was only on set for like one week because he had a, already a busy schedule as is. Also, he was also pretty expensive at the time. Um, yeah, I imagine half the budget went to went to just getting Sean Connery. A lot of it did probably for sure, but they became such good friends that Sean Connery like he's only come back to play Bond, obviously, in like the, his other films, but like. Ramirez is the only other role he's come back to for sequel wise. And, and look how that turned too. out. Yeah. Look how that shit turned out. But I would just say alone, like Sean Connery fucking kills it. Um, the, and whoever, um, whoever returns to play a new Ramirez or maybe a new mentor role, what has to like step up to the plate because Sean Connery made that role so much his own, like very charismatic, um, such a very much like great a plate mentor uh to christopher lambert's connor such it's it's a very i mean the, i'm pushing it by saying iconic but definitely up there in terms of mentors in film i mean the fact That's, that he the fact that he has such limited screen time and leaves mm-hmm. and leaves such uh such like an irreplaceable impression on the film i think really solidifies what uh what an important impression that connery leaves on on the Mm -hmm. film yeah so gentlemen overall what are our final thoughts on highlander um uh love it 
for all its many imperfections, it establishes a wonderfully deep lore. And for, other than the last season, one of my favorite TV series of all time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I on despite its many imperfections, I abs- I still absolutely love it. I would say it is. Uh, I oh, for one, I, I I think it's a wonderfully made film. It uh, clearly was made out of passion. There was a lot of hard work uh, put behind it, and I it, it's incredibly entertaining. And I think it's a little rough around the edges, but in terms of entertainment value and rewatchability, it's it's definitely up there. It, it's a very good movie, and I, I definitely see myself watching this again. Uh, so, uh, I would say probably like a three and a half, uh, like a three point five out of five, or like a seven point five out of ten for me. I, I'd give it an eight or a nine out of ten, not because it's especially you know good as a cinematic piece but just because it's just plain overall fun to watch and really interesting. It's fucking oh, yeah. awesome. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I love the lore. Way. I love the lore in this movie. Like it's, uh, it, it does a wonderful job at, at setting up the, yeah, we, we the, should, the world. You, you should definitely watch the TV series and we need to do, I think we should do a, a, a video or a podcast just picking apart the lore. Yeah, that's that's probably going to be when you and I talk about the TV series. Yeah, I might have to leave, leave that up to you guys. There's no way I have time to, <laughs> Fair to watch a whole show. Um, Fair enough. For me, um, yeah, there's a lot to say about this movie. I I've I've always really enjoyed this film. I I always I we I at least kind of watch at least once a year, maybe twice a year. Um, it, I love the concepts it introduces about life and death, like. How's, what does it mean to be immortal? Like, um, would you rather spend a lifetime alone or spend one year in love? Um, like the idea, the idea, the I, concept alone of immortality and like the idea of immortals is fucking brilliant for me. Um, and like that opens up a whole like world of possibilities of like where you can go with the material. I like the idea of like sword fighting with each other, sword fighting to the death to gain one's power is really fucking fascinating. Um, the I I like the music attached, the fucking music, both by b- the score by Michael Kamen and the soundtrack by Queen, both astounding. Um, the performances are great. Um, even though the, the romance between uh, Connor and Brenda doesn't work, I love the relationships that Connor has with, uh, with Ramirez and Heather, and I love how I love how kind of a tortured soul Connor is. We haven't really talked about Connor much, but Connor is very much kind of like a very like stoic character. He's, he's, he's a lone character. He's very, I kind of almost identify with character on in that regard, just because I've always been like, I've always kind of been that kind of solitary character who is like uh, out of like, who's always afraid to like fall in love or whatnot and just tries to live on his own and um, do his own and thing. Mind his own <laughs> There's business. A- <laughs> yeah, and there's a reason you keep calling me mythos, but you know that's a story uh, for another time. But <laughs> and then I just and then of course the you know the performances, like I said, uh, fuck Sean Connery is excellent, and Clancy Brown fucking kills it as the Kirk, literally oh, yeah. and figuratively. 
Fun fact, uh, he almost did not do this film because of the makeup process, because he's allergic to makeup. And that's why you see him with barely a little any makeup in the film. But that's neither here nor there. But fucking Clancy Brown uh, is like proves that, that he's like one of the best film vi- film villains of all time with this role. It's very underrated. Overall, this movie for me, um, I don't rate movies. I just say go watch it or go see it. Make up your own opinion from here. But for me, I definitely recommend Highlander. I think it's one of the most underrated like uh, science fiction noir sword and sorcery films or sword and fantasy noir films. Uh, it's an interesting mixture of like uh, genres. Um, but for me, this is for everything I've just said alone is why this movie is easily within my top 10 movies of all time. Um, it is that memorable. And uh, I definitely recommend it for anyone who likes uh, sword and sorcery or sword and fantasy, uh, a little bit of noir here and there. It kind of just depends on what you're in the mood for. But for me, Highlander is um, there can be only one. That's all I can say from there. Um, so yeah, that's going to do it for this installment of the show. Galen, I want to thank you so much for coming on and discussing it. Absolutely, so, man. I'll be and happy to come back prob- as my schedule allows. Yeah, no. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, man, thanks for coming on. But, um, so as you probably can already tell me and Galen at some point, sorry, Jeff, we'll go on and discuss Highlander, the TV series, because that is more I, of our wheelhouse and then I, be on the look I, I give you my blessing <laughs> <laughs> and then of course be on the lookout right, for be it. on the lookout for more episodes um and me and jeff we meant to do tremors too uh we meant to start doing tremors too and the other sequels right away but we, our schedules have just been really busy but uh next episode we'll most likely we'll be talking we'll be going back to tremors and tremors too so until the meantime uh thanks everybody for listening go ahead and give us a like on or give us a like if you're watching this on youtube and subscribe to our youtube channel go ahead and just follow us on spotify if you're listening or if you're listening on itunes or whatnot and then uh go follow our socials um (laughs) uh if they're listed in the description or whatnot but all right guys have a good one my name's eric my name is jeff and that's Galen, and that's all, and that's two nerdskis in a podcast, and then plus one. So, all right, guys, have a good one. See you around. Next level.